Hey there, it's Melissa Brunetti, and welcome to the Mind Your Own Karma podcast. Hey there, Karma Crew. I am so excited to finally bring out what I have been archiving for probably at least two months, probably three months with this interview that I'm bringing to you today. It is part one of two because Catherine and I talked for two hours and it was just the most stimulating conversation that I think I have had on the podcast so far. Catherine Vogley wrote a book called I Need to Tell You. And boy, does she tell you. She is a birth mother. And before any adoptees that are listening to this podcast want to turn off the podcast, I'm telling you, don't do it. Do not turn off this podcast. I'm going to be totally honest with you. I have been dreading, dreading, wanting and dreading at the same time to have a birth mother on the show, on the podcast, because you know I want to show all sides of the adoption story. And it was so difficult finding someone. And I opened my email one day and there was Catherine Vogley and she wanted to come on the podcast. And I said, well, there it is. And here we go. So I did. And I have to tell you, she changed my view in so many different ways. And it's exactly what I'm trying to do with this podcast is put a face and a life and a story, someone's real life story, put that out there into the world so that people can see this is a real story. This is what actually happens to birth mothers, to adoptees, to adoptive parents, to foster children. This is what happens. And as an adoptee that has had two rejections, well, a relinquishment and a second rejection, she really changed my heart. And I have some compassion now for what birth mothers go through and what my birth mother might have gone through. And it makes me just want to sit down and ask her some questions now. This adoption thing goes so much deeper than just adoptees. So I encourage you, even if it's difficult and you just hear the word birth mother and you're like, nope, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't listen to this. I can't. I think you should try. I really think you should try. And if nothing else, go to an audiobook, go to Amazon, order the book. It's kind of like the primal wound for me. The first time I read it, it made me mad. It triggered me. I threw it in the garbage, threw it away. But, but that was my opportunity for my why to dig deeper. Why is this triggering me? And so I encourage that for you because that's where the growth is. The growth is where you are uncomfortable. So ask yourself why that word birth mother triggers you. And just because you might be mad at your birth mother doesn't mean that you can't have some compassion as well for what she went through. It doesn't mean what she did was right. 
You are not forgiving her by giving her some compassion. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with you being able to step back and look at why something's triggering you and really process it so that you can have some compassion for somebody else's story. We are always wanting compassion for our stories and we need to have that same compassion for the other people that are in the triad. It's not a get out of jail free card for whoever hurt you. But I'm telling you in the long run, it's going to benefit you to let go of that bitterness and see things from a different angle, a different side. So let me tell you a little bit about Catherine Vogley. Catherine was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania during the post-World War II baby boom, and she earned a master's degree as a nurse specialist and treated hundreds of patients with chronic wounds. Her mission is and always has been healing. After leaving the medical world, she began writing and discovered a passion for the craft. Her memoir is titled, I Need to Tell You, and was published in May of 2002. Catherine's work can be found in Grandam Literary Journal, 5-Minute Lit, and Reedsy's Weekly Short Story Contest, for which she won first place, which does not surprise me in the least. Catherine has raised two daughters with whom she enjoys close relationships. Her greatest pleasure is watching her grandchildren discover all that life has to offer. The Pacific Northwest is her home where she lives with her husband and three terriers. I cannot wait for you to hear Catherine's story. You are going to be moved. Don't miss out on the growth that could happen by listening to this podcast today. Here is Catherine Vogley. So welcome to the show, Catherine. I am so glad you're here because I read your book, I Need to Tell You, and it's really the first book that I have read from a birth mother's perspective. And I read it and it really gave me so much compassion for you and other birth mothers that went through relinquishment, just gave me a whole different outlook on it. I mean, I kind of, you know, thought what it might be, but it really... um it really got to me. It really did. So thank you. Um, so let's just start by telling about how you grew up, your family a little bit, and the circumstances around how you got pregnant. I grew up in Pittsburgh, and I was born in 1949. I was the third in three years. Um, my older sister, 18 months older than me, was colicky, and I heard about that all the time as a youngster that Connie, her name is Connie really, but her, she's Kareen in the book. So I'll call her Kareen, I guess. <laughs> Kareen um, cried night and day. Mm. And, and then there was my older brother who was three years older than me. So uh, our house was small. We had one bathroom. Eventually there were five children. I had two come after me. My parents, my mother didn't work. My father worked as an accountant for a small family run company. And my father was an extreme introvert. He couldn't stand noise. He couldn't stand, you know, what he called commotion. Um, and he has his own uh, history of trauma and which I didn't know, but he, you know, looking back as a mature person, I can see that he um, behaved as a, a person who, was not mentally healthy. <laughs> Let's put it that way. 
Um, and that is to say that as, as his daughter, I had no idea that what was going on had nothing to do with me. Of course, kids are egocentric. They think everything is about them. And so he would come home at the end of the day. And I think my little brother was probably my younger brother is five years younger than me. So, so then there were, you know, four children, three of them in three years, and then five years, five years later, another one. Um, So many mouths to feed so much noise. And so we were always being told to shut up and stay out of the way. And so I was always getting into trouble because um, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I was always scared. I was always throwing up. <laughs> it, was, it was a very bad situation for oh my me. Gosh. Um, and then I went to Catholic school for eight years. Um, uh, very Catholic oriented. My mother took us to church every Sunday, every holy day confession. I think we started out at once a week and then it was once a month and stations of the cross, the whole liturgy thing. Mm. Um, and it was pretty dramatic of course. And I was really into it. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was kind of a counter to the drama at home. Mm. And, um, of course being in the situation I was as a child, nobody ever saying, I love you. There were no hugs and no uh, encouragement, so to speak. Just it was kind of the Catholic way from the opposite side, which is you're no good and you need to pray harder. You need to try harder. Um, And so I did. I tried so hard and I was, I'm a rule follower or I was um, doing everything that I thought I was supposed to do. Mm. Um, my sister, Corrine, got married at 18 as soon as she graduated from high school and she wasn't pregnant. And, um, you know, it was just, I think a, just a desperation to get out of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I didn't particularly like her husband. I didn't think that it was a, a good match or anything, but, um, you know, there she was, she was married and, and she was doing what my mother had done. And, you know, I wanted to be my mother, only I wanted to do it better. Right. And, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's, I was the, I tried to be a saint. I tried to be perfect. Right. <laughs> I was never, always missing the mark. <laughs> I grew up Catholic too, so I get it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so tell us about what happened. How did you meet Gavin and that whole situation, how did the pregnancy come about? Um, we met at a, at a high school dance and, um, you know, my self-esteem was so fractured, uh, was so weak. And, um, I thought I was ugly. I thought I was fat. Um, my sister was cool. She was not fat. She was shorter than me. I always felt big. Um, and you know, of course I wasn't, I mean, I, I was an inch taller than she was, but, um, most of my adult life, I thought I was big Mm. until I married my husband and he's six one and I feel very small. (laughs) And now my daughters are both taller than me. So I realized somewhere along the line that I'm not big and I, I, I'm overweight now, but I wasn't fat. Right. (laughs) I was by any means. (laughs) Anyway, I think that this is something that a lot of 
girls yeah. and young women put on themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that way, I suppose I was normal. Um, and so I was standing along the wall with, uh, with other people The it was in the gymnasium. It was at a boys school and the gym was dark and the lights, you know, were dim and, and the music was loud and, and we had been fast dancing and well, they had been fa- fast dancing. I didn't because girls didn't dance with each other so much back then. Yeah. And, um, anyway, so the slow song came on and, and, uh, I thought I can't stand standing here like some sort of a a wall art. I've yeah. got to move. So I just decided to walk into the crowd. <laughs> just got from the wall. I thought nobody's going to stop me, and I just wanted to be with the rest of the people. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to be part of that group yeah. who were dancing. And so my my idea was I would walk from one side of the room to the other. And then when I got to the other side, I didn't know what I was going to do. <laughs> <laughs> but halfway through, uh, a boy faced me and he asked me if I wanted to dance. And, and uh, um, you know, I was pretty glad about that. So I danced with him. And uh, there was something about him. I think it was his confidence that it was definitely his confidence that attracted me. Um, and so we... Uh, you know, stayed together for the rest of the dance. And then he asked if um, he could drive me home. I didn't have a driver's license. So um, I probably went with my brother to the dance. I don't know. I can't remember that part. It's funny how much I can remember and how much I can't. Yeah. Some things are very, very sharp in my mind. Anyway, so um, he drove me home and parked in front of my house and um, that the first kiss was just, you know, memorable. Let's say that, um, I had been kissed before, but, uh, there was just something about him. Yeah. He was, he didn't try too hard. He, he was very calm. Um, he made me feel special. Yeah. That confidence you talk about really came through in the book. You could really, the way you described him, I could see Exactly what yeah. you're saying now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so we dated after that. Um, he was a senior at the time. And um, after that year, he went away to school. He went to Notre Dame. And it was a dream of his to graduate from Notre Dame. Why, I'm not sure. But that was, he would be the first to graduate from college in his family his grandparents were immigrants and had Italian accents. And back then, um, you know, I lived in the suburbs in a white bread neighborhood. There was nobody different from me. Um, My parents, I, I can't say that they were, well, certainly not overt. They weren't overtly bigoted, but they gave me the message that, people who are different are not good. You stay away from them. Mm -hmm. And so immigrants had a bad um, connotation and, you know, somehow less than, and it's so, I think it's, it says something about the times. It says something about my parents and, 
their lack of worldliness. Yeah. Their uh, ignorance. I think a lot of people were ignorant about all that back then. Yeah. Yeah. And now I, you know, I, oh my gosh, I love people with accents. I love to hear them talk and I love to know about where they came and so on. Anyway, um, so that was, you know, right off the bat, a strike against him because he lived in a more ethnic part of the city. Um, so we dated for a couple of years. We had a lot of fun together, a lot of um, dress up things, you know, proms. And, and I went to Notre Dame one weekend for a game and so on and so on. So um, we never, I, we might've had sex outside, but I think most of the time, I don't think I ever had sex with him on a bed. <laughs> mm. We were always in a car, his yeah. dad's car. Um, <laughs> And always in the front seat. I never got in the back seat. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and I had a lot of conflict over that because I knew what I was doing was wrong or I thought what I was doing was wrong. Right. I was bad. I was impure. I was a liar. I, you know, um, and on one hand, it kind of went along with who, you know, I, I was already tainted because I was a human. <laughs> Because right. that's what Catholics teach you. Um, and my self-esteem was just so low that mm -hmm. his attention was like everything to me. Oh, yeah. Um, and he was an ambitious young man. He was smart. Um, he And he was narcissistic, which I didn't know. I didn't put that together at the time. But what we were doing and... You know, I would cry and I would say, what if I get pregnant? And he, I say it was narcissistic because of the way he answered that. Don't worry, everything will be all right. So everything will be all right for him yeah. is what it came down to, right? Yes. And so then um, one time we had sex in the car and the timing was wrong because I watched, we used the rhythm method. I watched the calendar and I would know when I couldn't have sex and, and withdraw. And, um, and I knew the night it happened mm. and, um, I went back to the dorm and I, I was just wild with fright Yeah. and what am I going to do? And of course, when I skipped my period, you know, I had already known Oh my God. And, uh, I, I just didn't, I didn't know what to do. There was nobody I could tell. I was so ashamed. I was so scared and it wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with the baby mm -hmm. at that point. It had to do with what I had done yes. and how people would know my mother would know. And uh, it was just this free form anxiety. Like I just didn't, I couldn't you know, pull it down and make it manageable. Right. Just, uh, terrifying. Right. So eventually we had to tell them and um, tell my parents and. Well, how did it go when you told Gavin? What was his reaction? Oh, he was mad. <laughs> I told him on the phone and he said, oh, Christ, you know, just that yeah. way. Like, very disgusted. And. Not disgusted with me, I don't think, but with the situation. Yeah. And um, 
he of course challenged, are you sure? And, you know, I had seen a doctor by then and I said, what are we going to do? And I had this fantasy in my mind that, I mean, everybody who got pregnant got married, you know, Mm -hmm. that's back then. I had this fantasy in my mind that that's what was going to happen, that he would be um, not happy about it, but he would say, well, I guess this is it. That's just what you did. (laughs) That's what you did. And uh, I knew he wouldn't be happy about uh, having to either interrupt his plans or um, just start out life this way. Yeah. And so when he said, um, it's too much right now, I have to, I have to think about it. And so I hung up, you know, I was in the dorm and, you know, I hung up and I, I was already scared to death. And then with his response, it added on to that. And I just didn't. And what do you mean? You got to think about it. <laughs> we don't think about it. This is what you do. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't imagine what was going to happen. And when he said, I, I have to think about it, you know, and I, as I was writing the book, I learned a lot through writing my book, but as he, as I wrote that, and that's a scene I can remember pretty well, I thought, well, gosh, it, it really does make sense that you would, if you're the guy that you're going to want to think about this, you know, you can't, and that's how he was. He was very thoughtful and in terms of, um, you know, I told you he was confident. He didn't chatter. He, when he said something, it had a purpose. Um, Mm. and, uh, it, it makes sense to me now that he would have to think about it. However, it would have helped if he had said, don't worry, we're going to take care of this. Yeah. Something. Something. But he left me twisting in the wind, basically. So. So what happened when you told parents? um, My parents, it it was very scary, as you might imagine. He didn't want to tell my parents with me. He wanted me to do it on my own. And I said, oh, no, we're going to do this together. And so, you know, I finally was able to spit out the words that I'm pregnant. My father jumped up and Gavin jumped up and my dad was yelling and, and, uh, I thought they were going to get into a fist fight. My dad was an accountant. He, you know, little rubber band arms and, and, you know, a slight build and Gavin was, he wasn't tall, but he was muscular. He lifted crates at his father's tavern and, um, he was a, a, strapping young man let's put it that way so anyway uh, my mother jumped up and there was all this drama you know screaming and and in my family the only time you screamed was when my dad was mad about something I had done or my sister had done so it was all pretty bizarre and I was shocked that he that my dad was mad at Gavin I was absolutely flabbergasted I had no idea that was coming you know I thought it was all my fault Mm. and um so that was uh that was the first tough thing to get through and then Um, during that meeting your mom kind of came forward at the end and said something to him where he had to make a decision and so tell us about that 
Yeah. She said, she said, well, what are you going to do? And he said, she said, get married, I suppose. And they didn't like him. So they, you know, they weren't like pushing us to get married. And I think truly my mother didn't know what the hell to do. Mm. But, um, uh, Gavin said, I don't think I can, I don't, he said, I don't know. I don't know if I can get married right now. And she said, um, what are you talking about? And he said, I have to finish school. And so she yelled at him and said, you know, there's colleges here and blah, 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 you know, just transfer from Notre Dame. And we were in Pittsburgh. So there's several colleges. Um, Carnegie Mellon is a good school, you know, something to brag about if you graduate from there. And, and um, he said, I really want it to be Notre Dame. And uh, she said, um, well, he said, I have to think about it. And she said, well, you just think on it go home and think about it and come back in one week and give us your decision. So she practiced, she pretty much ran the whole scene. Yeah. It sounds yeah. like it. And I'm just sitting there like a <laughs> right. five-year-old. Right. <laughs> oh my God. I can't imagine. So how'd yeah. it go with his parents? Or you were, he told them already. That you he did. told them already. Yeah. So tell us yeah. about it. I don't know exactly what happened with them he didn't give me every detail but he said they were pissed so his parents were you know children of ethnic descent um his father was uh uh they both neither of them had accents by any means but they were uh, a little harder around the edges let's say rough around the edges than my parents who I think thought of themselves as refined and um, that's the Italian part. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up in an Italian family. So yeah. There you go. Yeah. My, <laughs> my parents are, you know, German, Irish, very repressed, very um, tight lipped. Um, and his parents were the opposite. So uh, his mother was a lot like Gavin. Um, she didn't, chatter she she was I believe very intelligent she um was very to the point and um she she said so um Gavin tells us you're pregnant I mean she said it just like that and she said what do you want to do and I said I don't know I I don't I don't know what to do get married I guess didn't she ask you if you thought if you were sure it was him that he was the father. Yeah. Oh my. So I said, I don't know. I, I get married, I guess. And she said, how do you know it's his baby? And I said, I, I, she could have knocked me over with a feather. I was so flabbergasted to hear that because I was already suffering with every time we were together. And the fact that she would suggest that was just beyond my comprehension. I didn't, I, I can see it now. But I sure yeah. couldn't see it back then. So that was pretty humiliating. Right. Um, and I said, you know, I, I, how much, how forcefully can you say I've never been with anybody else? Um, and then his dad, his dad was all nervous and he was standing up and he was walking back and forth and he just spun around and he kind of 
boomed and he said, what the hell do you want to marry him for? Why, the only thing that kid can do is get a heart on. I'll never forget him. Wow. <laughs> I just wanted to die. <laughs> so I guess the bottom line is on both sides, it was very dramatic. Yeah. And his, his mother then said, have you thought about abortion? And abortion back then was not a word that was spoken. You just didn't. It was like in my house, you especially, don't say yeah, word. especially it was, Catholic. It yeah. was a bad word. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and not only you know to say it, but to suggest it to me, right? <laughs> Little me to go into some, you know. Here's how I pictured it: a dark alley near some trash bins, yeah, where somebody would use maybe a flashlight in the middle of the night and right. it would be raining, you know, yeah. I had this whole horrible scene and thunder and lightning and, somebody, and everything. Yeah. And somebody would cut with a dirty knife, right. cut into me. Yeah. Um, that's the, uh, the idea that I had in my head about abortion. Yeah. Well, but, not to mention growing up Catholic, that's a one-way ticket to hell. So, Oh, sure. You know, well, I already knew I was going to hell because I had sex. And I wasn't mm-hmm. supposed to, but yeah, abortion would be, I mean, it was just so foreign to me on so many levels. And I think now looking back, it shows her lack of sensitivity to this young girl. I mean, really nobody, really nobody um, was with me. Yeah. Yeah. In any way. My parents. There was no sympathy, no support. Mm -mm. There was no compassion, no support. Nobody saying, I love you. And it'll be okay. Nothing happened doesn't mean any less of you. You know, no, I was just uh, thoroughly humiliated and um, shamed. Yeah. Um, And of course, being Catholic, I knew I deserved it. Mm. That was no good. I shouldn't have done what I did. Um, yeah. So now here I am. I'm pregnant and not married. I didn't know anybody that got pregnant and didn't get married. And so, you know, what am I going to do? Yeah. So he was, it seemed like Gavin was dist- distancing himself from you and the whole situation, you know, as soon as it happened. So what was going through your head at that point when he decided to finish school? Um, I had to switch tracks. That's how I felt. Like I was, I had been, I had this life with him in school, you know, as a nursing school. So the life that I had, um, and, and as a young person, I didn't have much in the way of planning skills. I mean, if you had said, what are you going to do when you get out of nursing school? I probably would have said, I don't know, get a job. But I didn't have any aspirations like, oh, I want to work at Cleveland Clinic or, you know, anything like that. Mm-hmm. So um, I knew I knew that I had to I, I had to do something right. And um, having an abortion or seeking an abortion was never part of it. I knew I couldn't keep the baby. I knew that I had to have the baby and I had to give the baby up. So was it because 
you knew you weren't going to have any help doing it? Was that why? Or you just figured, you know, how am I going to take care of this baby myself? And there was never any discussion on my parents part about alternatives. There was no, absolutely no discussion about, well, maybe, you know, my sister Kareen was married you know, there was never a suggestion that maybe she could take the baby mm. and she didn't know. She didn't, didn't know. Think I was about pregnant. That. She had no yeah. children. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, I look back on it and I think, well, you know, that's a potential situation or solution. Yeah. yeah I didn't. Even- um, so that was a, a, a possibility. I, I could have gone to my grandparents in Fort Lauderdale and stayed there and had some time to think about ways to manage the situation but there was so much shame and it was yeah and secrecy and secrecy too. and and i wasn't unusual in that i mean yeah. yeah so i i knew i had to do something and um my mother made an appointment with my cousin who is a priest and so we went to and I was mad at her because I didn't want anybody to know. And here she had told my cousin. And so we sat together and it was very, very uncomfortable. And uh, um, he said, his name is Father Ed. And he said, so I understand that. Um, I think he made me say it. I think he said, I understand that you want to talk about something. Mm-hmm. And I said, well. Cause I didn't know how much my mother had told him. So I told him and, you know, every, it, it was every minute of my life at that time was humiliating. <laughs> so right. Just one more humiliation. And my parents sat there still and as quiet as could be. And he said, um, did you, do you want to keep the baby? And he's the first and only one that ever said that. Mm. And it just was like, what? What? And I said, I, I don't, I didn't have a driver's license. I didn't have a job. I didn't have any place to stay. My parents didn't like children. My parents never suggested Mm -hmm. any such solution. Um, although Gavin's mother, I have to say, she did say, what if you have the baby and then after Gavin graduates from college, you get married. How about that? Uh-huh. She did say that. And I, I, because it, I never knew of anybody who did that. I wasn't having right. a baby you without didn't do a it, husband. Yeah. You just didn't do that. So I said no to her. I said, no, that won't work. So anyway, I found, um, and I don't remember exactly how this came about, but I found uh, my chemistry teacher that I used to babysit for. I found that she had moved out of state and I got her number and called her and asked if, uh, told her my situation and asked if I could stay with her for a few months or six weeks. And she said, okay. So I went out there and stayed for six weeks and, um, Rosalia was the home for unwed mothers, and you couldn't go into Rosalia until you were seven months. So I hid out in Ohio, and she was very, she had 
gone from being a chemistry teacher to a guidance counselor. So um, she didn't humiliate me, but she also didn't give me any therapy either. (laughs) Um, So it was to her advantage to have me there because, you know, I was there for, she was single. So I was there when she was gone, which she was all the time. Um, I was there with her kids and when I, so November 1st finally came around and I went to the, the, um, home for unwed mothers to Rosalia, which was, uh, it was a lot like my dorm, my nursing dorm. Mm. There were two girls to a room. Um, it was Catholic. So there were icons and candles and things like that around. There was a chapel. They had mass. And they had activities for us to do. And I know some people have very bad stories about their experience in a home, but I don't, Mm. I don't, and I don't have any bad experiences from my Catholic school either. And I mean, other people, I saw them get slapped around, but I was, I was so good that nobody ever had to do anything to me. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I so I had my due date was January third, and um, the third came and went, as did all the other girls that entered when I entered and after, <laughs> and um, three weeks went yeah. by before I had right. finally went into labor. Um, did they not induce at that time? They didn't. I guess they could have, but that was they crazy. Didn't. Three weeks passed. Yeah. Did you, when you were pregnant in the book, you said at one point you said my belly's roundness had grown and the baby lay still while I rubbed my palm gently over it, thinking how the baby moved very little at night and the two of us sleeping together. Did you allow yourself to connect to the baby at all during pregnancy or did you try not I to, tried not to do that? I, I really tried not to. Do you have children yourself? I do. Yeah. So, you know, and it was my first pregnancy. So it was all new to me, like the quickening that was, I didn't know what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, feeling a, a poke through your belly, you know, that elbow or whatever. But I was very, in Rosalia, I was, girls talked all the time about not getting attached to your baby. Mm. And, um, is that something that Rosalia kind of told you guys no, it best was for you or just, it was, you know, it's interesting when I think of the, of the notions that I had, I have the feeling that they came from the other girls, but I don't remember anything about the, the, the people in charge you know, I don't remember that anybody gave us classes or counseling or anything like that. I know that I spent a lot of time in my room crying. Mm. Um, and crying I, because you were lonely and I was, I was lonely. I was bad. It was mostly because I was bad. Mm. I had no, you know, this was like the worst. It was the worst possible thing for me. Right. That I was making a baby that I wasn't going to keep and how awful for that baby to not have its mother mm. is awful. And yeah. I, I, 
who wouldn't cry about that? It was right. awful. Right. And in order to deal with myself, I, I had to, you have to keep going, you know, you, you don't have a choice the way it is. <laughs> you, you don't have a choice. You have to keep going. And well, at one point you also said, uh, and when you were at Roselia, you said that you felt desolate and despondent and you said everything about me felt wrong. Exactly. Is yeah. Exactly. What, I mean, I can't imagine everything about you felt wrong. Everything was wrong for a long time. Not just then for a long time. Once Gavin left my life. Yeah. Because he was, he was the, the one, he was the buoy for me. He was the one thing that kept me up out of the drowning water. Right. Well, um, he could have changed, you know, the whole scenario by just. For me. Yeah. For me. But who, but how would it have been for him? Right. And how would it have been for our baby? Yep. Yep. And I know when I think about that and how, what the circumstances might have, you know, I, we were both immature. How would I have I didn't have healthy people around me. How would I have, how would I have developed? Right. I, you know, you're not developed at 18 years old. Oh. And, uh, and at that time people thought you were. Yeah. At 18, oh, yeah. you're an adult, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, so a lot was expected of me. Yeah. And I had let myself down in the whole world. Mm. Everything, everything about me was wrong. I can't imagine. So your it's your due date. You went past your due date three weeks. Um, so tell us about the birth and then what happened afterwards. Can I tell you about the running part? Yeah. I love that story. <laughs> I just love that story. It's the one bright spot for me in the in the that time in Russia. <laughs> that day that I. So there was another girl that was overdue and, and I just was absolutely desperate. Everybody kept going and I, and I wasn't going and I, and there's nothing you can do about it. And I just, you know, would sit there and look out the window and there was this long sidewalk out the back and beyond the, there was a big grassy area and beyond that there was a parking lot that was way far away. And uh, it was January, of course. It was cold and snowy, and and uh, so I, I at that point, I would do anything to have labor. I wanted to be done. So I asked Rosie if she ever thought about jogging, and she said, <laughs> "What are you talking about?" <laughs> but we were both overdue, and I said, "Maybe if we jog, it'll start the the contractions." And so I had to kind of talk her into it. She said, oh, okay. So she was 17, which seemed a lot younger mm -hmm. than me. <laughs> <I was 18. laughs> you were an adult. <laughs> she was still a child. I was an adult. So we go out and, you know, here I am, overdue. And I said, okay, let's go. And all of a sudden, it just seemed absolutely impossible that I would be able to run down that sidewalk. And... uh <laughs> she said, well, you go first. <laughs> so we went back and forth that way. And I started running and I said, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. And um, so she started running and she made it all the way down and back. And 
and I think I went halfway down and back. I said, I <laughs> so she went the next day. Yeah. And I went, I went like three days later or something. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, they wouldn't do a, a C-section on a Rosalia girl. Oh, why? Because. Oh, the scar, uh, right. It would leave, this is what they told me. It would leave a scar. Yeah. And, and it was important that you tell the world that you, you know, I don't know if you were supposed to say or a virgin or not, but <laughs> that you hide this experience. You don't, the world does not. So this Catholic home is telling you to lie. Well, to yes. hide, you know, hide that, yeah. hide it. Um, and for that reason, they wouldn't do a C-section, but you know, it, it's, it's, I think they put me and the baby at risk. Oh, definitely. Having me wait that long, 40 definitely. hours. Well, and the one nurse, when long. she listened to the heart rate and she said it was going down with contractions, I mean, right there, that's, you know, yeah. that's an emergency yeah. Yeah. nowadays. That's an emergency right then. So they let you stay in labor yeah. for 48 hours. Yeah. And then um, finally, and they kept checking me, you know, and baby's not down. She's not crowning, blah, blah, blah. And so nobody if, came with, was there with you during... No. The labor your mom no. didn't come nobody came Mm-mm. wow no i was in a room by myself um, because i was a rosalia girl and the staff was limited for you know how many people were allowed in and out of the room because more people that came in the room somebody might recognize me mm. so there was one nurse named lynn and um she was there for two nights. I mean, I was there for two nights and the first night she came in and checked my vitals and checked the baby and everything. And, and, uh, she was very kind to me. And the second night when she came in, she said, Oh my God, I can't believe you're still here. Mm. Isn't there anybody and you're alone. Isn't there anybody I can call for you? Uh. And I said, no. And she started crying and she said, I would sit with you myself if I didn't have to work. Mm. And so did anyone notify Gavin, your parents, that you were even in labor or did apparently, they know? Apparently Rosalia notified my parents because my mother knew that I was in labor. I didn't call her. She didn't, we didn't interact while I was at Rosalia. Mm. Um, you know, they were 20 minutes away. Wow. And, you know, I went through Thanksgiving and Christmas, Rosalia. Wow. A lot of girls went out for the holidays, but I stayed. Wow. So what happened after you had her and you left the hospital? Tell about that story. So the girls at Rosalia, the constant mantra was, don't hold your baby. If you hold your baby, you're not going to be able to give her up. Certainly don't feed your baby. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said, if you see your baby, that'll be it. As if it was some magic thing, you know. Right. And so this was kind of drummed into me, not by the staff. Mm-hmm. I have to, I'm fairly sure it was not by the staff. But to me, it was, it was kind of the rule. That's what, it was the technique, you know. Yeah. And there was one girl who did 
keep her baby and she had she nursed her baby and i remember saying what the hell (laughs) (laughs) why why would you go through all this and keep your baby but it was an example to me of how important it was not to see your baby Mm -hmm. so you know there's there are hormones chemical signals in our bodies that you can't wish them away they're there yeah your body functions that way just the same as you breathe in and out you can't wish your breath mm-hmm. away and you can't wish these hormones away and the hormones function is to make the mother and the baby want each other yeah to bond right so the day i was leaving um i was <laughs> in this old rickety wheelchair and they took me through the kitchen, the hospital's kitchen instead of out the the main entrance where everybody else went. Oh my God. And, you know, so I'm going through the kitchen and the kitchen staff is, you know, looking sideways at me and, and they take me out the back entrance where the deliveries were made and where the trash bins are. And, uh, and there's a taxi pulls up. And the way you're describing it is almost the way you were describing the abortion that you were imagining in the alley. Wow. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was still where I deserve to be. Mm. (laughs) So I, I got in the cab and I was extremely painful. I'm sure I had significant birth injuries, even though nobody addressed that. Right. Um, I'm certain I should have had a section. Um, the baby was nine and a half pounds and, um, knowing what I know about, uh, obstetrics, my guess is everything was very dry because she was so overdue. And so Mm. there was probably some difficulty, you know, with the delivery. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, so I get in the cab and I go to close the door and um, I hear this person screaming to wait. And I, I look up and here's a nurse coming at me from the back door and she's running and she's got a bundle in her arms and she's screaming, wait, you can't, you can't leave yet. You have to take your baby. And I was like, what? what? No way. And so I'm, you know, putting my hands up. No, 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 I can't. I can't. And um, she stopped and she said, what's the matter with you? Who's going to, why can't you take your baby? And I said, they said never to hold your baby. Mm. And she said, who said that? And I said, over at Rosalia, everybody said that. And she said, look, this is the way we do it. How do, how's the baby supposed to get back to Rosalia? And I said, I don't know. Can you bring her? And she said, no, look, this is the way we always do it. Let's get this baby in out of this cold. Yeah. And so she put the baby in my arms and she closed the door and she ran back inside. Mm. So there we were. Wow. My few minutes with my baby. My few minutes with my baby. And those were really the only moments that she's had in person, with her baby. She had no idea 
that they were going to put that baby in the car with her to take back to Roselia. She didn't know. All she knew was, I'm not supposed to hold my baby. I'm not supposed to see my baby. That was drilled into her by all the new mothers at Roselia. And here she was confronted with her baby in that moment. And what do you do? Do you look at that baby? And what's that going to do to you? It's just heartbreaking and how she was treated and shamed and everyone else got to go on with their lives. And she had to go through that by herself. She went through the holidays by herself. Just heartbreaking, just heartbreaking. So there is a part two to the story. So stay tuned next week for that. And you will find out exactly what Catherine did when she was holding her baby in that car in the taxi on the way back to Roselia. These women are out there and there are a lot of them. If you know of a birth mother that might need to hear this story, please share it with them. Tell them about Catherine's book, I Need to Tell You. Because just like adoptees, birth mothers need to know that they are not alone in what they are feeling. I'm not only trying to educate the world, but I'm trying to pull together the adoption constellation and have us come together to tell our stories, to educate the world, but also for us to know that we're not alone. If you have been touched by Catherine's story or any of the stories that are on this podcast, please consider subscribing. You will get notified of the new podcasts that are coming out. It's totally free. You can also rate and review the podcast on Spotify and Apple if those are your listening platforms. And I would be very appreciative if you did that. You can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Mind Your Own Karma. As always, take what you need and leave what you don't. And always remember to mind your own karma. I'll see you next time. Oh my gosh, Tomlin. Are you serious? This is what I put up with, guys.